Open our Bibles now, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Some of you are probably wondering if we would ever get beyond verses 31 and 32 in this fifth chapter. Uh, Our progress has been somewhat slow, but when you look at how closely that Jesus' teachings follow the ills of modern society, I, I just don't think there's any way that we can pass up this teaching and not spend time on it. We spent five weeks on those verses dealing with marriage and divorce. I think it is time very well spent. Our families are in trouble and consequently our churches are in trouble because you'll never have good churches unless you have good families. And the Word of God teaches us that our family relationships often govern God's blessings. Peter wrote that if a husband does not love his wife in a understanding relationship, if he doesn't dwell with her properly, if he doesn't honor her, he says, then God will not hear his prayers. That's a very serious statement, and it ought to impress upon us the great need for proper family relationships. And perhaps our churches don't have power with God because we don't have a lifestyle in our home that backs up the worship and the prayer and the things that we do here. So this is just really part of the practical nature of Jesus' teachings. The Sermon on the Mount, as I've said before, is as current as today's newspaper. And we find as we go through this that what Jesus says affects every person who's in this room. The human condition is ever the same. It doesn't change. Now, the faces may change. We're different people. But it's the same old story that it's ever been. And that is that we have a wicked heart that has been infected with the disease of sin. Now, as we come to the next portion of the Sermon on the Mount, we we are examining here the fourth of six examples that showed how far short that these people had fallen of God's laws. Now, you remember that the teachers were the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the teachers of Old Testament law. But what they had done is they had substituted what they thought the law meant and what they said the law was for the real Word of God. And so they dealt in misinterpretations, and what they had done was to reduce God's high standards to a lower standard that they could keep. And so we learn from this that if perfection comes from the law, then the only way that we could ever be perfect by the law is to have an imperfect law. Imperfect people can keep imperfect laws perfectly. Now, you might want to write that one down. That might be a famous saying someday. I don't know. But imperfect people can keep imperfect laws perfectly. And so what we have here from verses 21 down through 48 are six examples of hypocrisy. These are misinterpretations of the law. And Jesus has to straighten this out to show the people they had not kept God's standard. And so, in fact, they were guilty sinners in need of God's grace. So today we're looking at example number four that Jesus is giving in the Scriptures, and we begin reading today at verse number 33. If you'd stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word, we're looking at Matthew 5, verse number 33. Jesus says, again, Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. 
But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to be here to preach your word. I ask you, Lord, that you'd speak to the hearts of our people, open our eyes to the truth of the word, and help us to see our only hope is the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that's given by him. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Notice once again Jesus' pattern here and how he delineates false teachings from the true. He says, Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. And what follows then is the misinterpretation. Those from old time are the Pharisaical teachers. They are the rabbis that had for so long taught the people wrongly. And the people had been raised in those misinterpretations. Just like if you take a child and you teach him when he's young young that white is black and that up is down. Whenever it comes to the place that someone says, well, that's not quite right, and you've been taught wrongly about that, uh, you're looking at it backwards, that uh, up is up and down is down, white is white and black is black, and somebody has told you wrongly. Well, it's just like this, that when Jesus came along and he started teaching the truth of God's word, that the people said, that can't be right, that can't be the truth, that's not the way that we've heard it before. And so it was very hard for them to believe because they had been taught so differently. Now, as preachers, we face that every single day because people have been taught for so long that it takes good works, that it takes the keeping of sacraments in order for a person to go to heaven. And so we've been taught that human goodness is the qualifier for heaven. And so when we begin to preach that there's nothing that we can do to be right with God, when we tell people that we are condemned sinners, that there is no righteousness in us, that doesn't sound right to people. And when we say that there's only one way that you can get into heaven, and that is by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus, that doesn't sound right to them. When we say there's plus nothing, there's minus nothing that you can add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, take away from it, people say that can't be right. It doesn't sound like what we've been told before. And so we deal with it all the time, trying to teach people the right way of salvation. We have to teach it correctly because a lie will never help anyone. So Jesus starts out by saying six times, this is what they say. And then he sets the record straight by declaring, but I say unto you. And then what follows there is the truth that is spoken by the authority of God. That is the original intent and the meaning of the scriptures. Now Jesus had already given three examples of wrong interpretation. Those had to do with murder, adultery, and divorce. And those who claimed that they had kept the law perfectly had actually fallen far short of it. They weren't keeping God's standard and they missed the law's intent. Righteousness is not a matter of external deeds. It's not the things that you do. Righteousness proceeds from the heart. Your heart has to be right. And so in this fourth example, Jesus just shows them once again, their hearts were not right. Now this example has to do with the third commandment. They said that they were keeping the commandments, but... In reality, they were violating the law. And so Jesus begins to speak to them about this third commandment, and he, actually, and he lets them know that they're actually terrible liars. They don't tell the truth, they're actually lying. So the third commandment then comes in question. Here's what God's law states in Exodus 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. 
Now, do you notice what part of man that affects? This is a law about your speech. It's about things that you say. It's actually something about your tongue. Now, why is God so concerned about what you say? It's because what you say tells what's in your heart. What you say tells what you think. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So we could say actually that your speech is a window to your soul. It tells what's in your heart. And isn't that really the crux of the whole matter? It's just taught in a little bit different way. Jesus is teaching heart righteousness, not external righteousness. And so he deals with how they speak. What do they say? They say that they're telling the truth. But he says, you're nothing but liars. Now let me lay down a general principle. Then we're going to get to the very specifics of the passage. This principle concerns, number one, the promises of God. The promises of God. Our belief in God rests upon the truthfulness of his promises. If God is not absolutely trustworthy in all that he says, then obviously we don't have any basis to trust him. If one of God's promises ever were to fail, it would be like taking something out from under the foundation of a building, of removing a part of that foundation, and when you remove that piece of it, the whole building falls. It can't stand. This is what we say when we're talking about the attributes of God. There are certain characteristics that God has that if he doesn't have these characteristics, these particular attributes, then he cannot be God. And one of those attributes of God, he must be absolute truth. If he is not absolute truth, then there's no way that we can know the truth. There's no way that we can be saved. There's no, there's no way we can find out how to be saved if God is not truly truthful. If we don't know what truth is, then we know nothing at all concerning God. In fact, Paul wrote this in Titus chapter 1. He said, our eternal life rests in God's veracity. <clears throat> Paul says in Titus, Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. <coughs> Excuse me. So God promised eternal life. And God that cannot lie is held to that promise. So what this means is that lying contradicts God's character. If our goal is to live a holy and righteous life, if true righteousness is what we, what we do hunger and thirst after, then we must aspire to God's character. <clears throat> we must be truthful people because God is truthful. And lying contradicts God's character. Psalmist said that God desires truth in the inward parts. And so when you lie... You show what's in your heart, and you show there's not purity there, and you show that there's no righteousness there. You show that you really don't have God's character. Now, the Pharisees did know that, and the Pharisees did affirm this is true. They did believe that they were worshiping the true God, and there was not one of them that ever would say that God is a liar. They understood God's nature of truthfulness, but their hearts were not right. They fallen short of God's standard of truth. And so what they did, they just made up new truth. And they said, that's God's truth. And they had a completely different truth, you might say, than what God says. 
So that aggravated their condition because lying prevents communion with God. If they're not true as God is true, then they can't really have fellowship with him. Now, they claim to be Abraham's children. They said that we are heirs to the promises of God. But if they're not truthful, God doesn't want any part of them because God is all truth. So Jesus intended to separate the people from those false teachings because as long as they believed a substandard truth, which is really nothing more than a lie, well, they could never be the people of God. You see, what's in your heart, you speak. And so what's in your heart is not the truth, then what are you going to speak? Nothing but lies. You can't speak the truth. You'll continually speak lies. Now, that is the whole problem. Jesus sums it up in Matthew 15. He says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So there we have the whole pharisaical system summed up in just a few words. They speak, but the words that they come out of their, come out of their mouths do not honor God. They do not believe God as they say that they do because their heart says otherwise. They don't worship God because they have substituted something other than what God's law really teaches. Now I wanted to start with that to show you that truthfulness is the character of God. God's promises come true because God is a truthful God. And if we're going to be God's people, then we have to be truthful people. And so if you fall short of truthfulness, if you tell lies, if you fudge the truth, if you leave wiggle room in what you say for other interpretations, then you are not truthful as God is truthful. Well, that's going to be very important as we get into the specifics of Jesus' words. Now then, secondly, what is it that Jesus corrects? Well, number two is the prevarications of the Pharisees. How many of you have ever said, I swear that this is true on a stack of Bibles? Or how many of you have ever said, on my mother's grave, I swear that this is true? If you've said that, raise your hand. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, you know, you're the people I want to talk to because you don't tell the truth. There was a preacher who once said, I'm going to preach on lying today. And he said, "Uh, how many of you have read about that from Mark chapter 17? And there were hands all over the place. And he said, well, you're the ones I want to talk to because Mark only had 16 chapters. So, So this teaching, this teaching is really... And I'm going to talk to you because all of you just lied to me. This, this, this teaching is actually about the misuse of O's. This is about swearing O's. And what it really amounts to is a type of lying. It's a prevarication of the truth. You know, there are many people who don't recognize that the third command is actually about swearing O's. Let me read that to you again. Thou shalt not take... The name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We usually pull out that text when we want to talk about cursing. Or when we want to talk about filthy talk, we use this text. And that's covered here. But the main teaching of this is that when you swear falsely, when you flippantly use an oath, you're taking God's name in vain. Now that's what an oath is. It's when you make a statement and you call upon the name of God as witness to what you say. And if that's not done properly, then it very quickly degenerates into nothing short of swear words. Now, pun intended if you didn't get that. 
Now we notice here in verse 33, Jesus says, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Is there anything wrong with that? That seems pretty good to me. I don't think any of us would find fault with that. If you take a vow, if you use the Lord's name in a vow, then you must abide by that oath. That's pretty straightforward, and that is biblical. But then Jesus goes on to say, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Why does Jesus say, swear not at all? Now that seems to be contradictory, because there's numerous times in the Scripture where God swears oaths. If swearing an oath is wrong, how can God swear oaths? And you know, there are several examples of that in the Bible. Let me read one scripture to you. In fact, we read it just a moment ago when we were doing the congregational reading. Hebrews chapter 6. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now, those are great verses. Those are verses that we use to prove the truthfulness of God. God cannot lie because God is immutable. Unchangeableness and immutability, that's that's a, a reason that God can't lie. But still it says that God confirmed his promise by an oath. But Jesus has just told us in the Sermon on the Mount, don't use oaths. So is that a contradiction? Well, we have to understand that Jesus is not speaking about swearing oaths altogether, but is teaching about the improper use of oaths. Some people have taken that out of context, and so they say you can't even swear an oath in a court of law. That you can't stand before a judge and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. You ought not to do that because Jesus said you can't swear oaths. But do you know what that is? It's what's so wrong with so many religions. They take the word of God out of its context. God used oaths in the scripture. People did take vows, and God never condemned them for doing so when they did it in the right way. And so... What happens when you isolate scriptures, you come up with a wrong idea. So what is the real problem here? What is Jesus teaching? Well, first of all, he's teaching about the frivolous use of oaths. Now, the Pharisees were wrong in a couple of ways. One was that they used oaths frivolously. They would pull out the name of God and they would use it in any context so that it didn't really matter how serious the matter was. They would just say, I swear to you or, or I vow to you that this is true. And they didn't use God's name only when it was a serious time and when it was necessary to call upon God as their witness. We need to understand that God hears everything that we say. And so every time that we call out God's name, we're calling on the Almighty God, the Almighty Creator of this universe. There is respect and reverence that goes with the name of God. And if you're going to use His name, you always respect it. How many times do you hear people say, oh God, 
Oh God this, oh God that, oh Lord, oh Lord. And they use his name in a frivolous manner. This is what Jesus is saying because every time that you open your mouth to say, oh God, you're asking him to swear to what you say. Now I'm sure that you understand, or at least you should, that when you use God in a sentence then that that is actually a form of an oath. Every time that you use God, you say his name, you're swearing an oath. If I'm preaching and I say, God says this, and then I make a statement... I'm actually calling upon God as my witness to the truth of the statement that I'm going to make. Now, there are a lot of preachers who ought to consider that very carefully because when they say, thus saith the Lord, and what they say is not the truth of God's word, when they've invented something, when they've made up something, and they don't tell a truth about it, then God is their judge. They have wrongfully used his name. They've asked God to witness to what they say. And so if you use speech and you use God's name frivolously in that way, you're taking it in vain. It is disrespectful, and you're in violation of God's command. Cursing is forbidden. And so if you are a Christian who uses that kind of language, then you betray what's in your heart. You have said, I've been cleansed by God. I've been purified by him. And whenever you open your mouth to use God's name in vain, to call out the name of God, and it's not in a respectful and worthy manner, then you have committed sin against God. Now, we expect that from people that are lost. We don't excuse it, but we do expect it. But we don't expect it from God's people. Scripture says that we've been reconciled to God. We were in darkness, but we've been called out of darkness into light. We're not to practice evil any longer. That's a work of darkness to speak of God's name in that way. And when you do it, it's not a light thing. God doesn't pass it over. Notice where Jesus puts this, right in the list of things like murder and adultery. It's a violation of God's commandments. So that's just one of the problems. They just frivolously called out the name of the Lord. Now the second issue is the evasive use of O's. The Pharisees would swear by just about anything. I'll get to that in just a moment in part number three and show you a form of evasiveness there. But I want to show you another way in this part how you use evasive O's. And that is that you can stop short of actually using God's name, but you substitute other words for it which actually amount to the same thing. And so you hear people say, Oh gosh, or geez. Those words are nothing more than diminutives of the word God. That's where they come from. They came from their evasive ways of swearing. And so people do that so they can say, well, I can't be blamed for saying a curse word. And so I guess what you're doing then is skirting the law. The intent is still there, but it's more thinly veiled. You know, I remember when I was growing up that if I, in my home, of course I was a pastor's son raised in a pastor's home, if I ever said gosh or I said gee or said geez or something like that, that'd get my mouth washed out with soap as quickly as I'd let loose of 50 words of gutter language. If I ever had anything playing on my radio, like this filthy rap music and rock music that uses all that filthy cursing in God's name, I might as well kiss the car goodbye because I was staying at home. But now, there's nobody that puts much stock in what we say. They don't care much about what kind of character is displayed in our speech. You hear all kinds of garbage spoken. Today, kids pick up the language of their parents, and what do we think? Oh, well, a little five-year-old that cusses like a sailor. That's cute. God says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. 
And so our speech betrays the purity of the hearts that we claim. Now let's go on because Jesus will correct this. Their standard is not good enough. They claim to be speaking truthfully and they had ways of excusing lies and they said these aren't prevarications at all. So next we see then the plain truth from Jesus. But I say unto you, swear not at all. Now here comes the authority of God's truth. Jesus says you have misused the law, you've mishandled it, so now here comes the exposure of your sinful heart. Well, let's go back a moment to this frivolous swearing and the evasive swearing of the Pharisees. What does Jesus mean when he says, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by the earth, don't swear by Jerusalem, don't swear by your head? What does all of that mean? Well, it was actually their way of getting around being accused of lying. You see, what the Pharisees had was a system whereby they swore binding oaths and non-binding oaths. And so there was a real problem trusting anything that they said. They didn't know, nobody knew when they were, te- knew when they were telling the truth. And this is, go- this is as old as Moses. He dealt with the very same thing, the misuse of God's name. If you look at scriptures like Leviticus 19.12 and Deuteronomy 6.13, those were scriptures that the Pharisees used because those scriptures dealt with using God's name. And so what the Pharisees were doing, they were paying lip service to God's command And they saved God's name for the big stuff that they would use only in their binding situations. And they said, well, if we swear by heaven or we swear by earth, if we swear by these other things, they could actually lie about it because those are non-binding oaths. But Jesus corrects that by how? By doing what? By telling us that all oaths are binding. That's the teaching of the Scripture here. All oaths are binding. Everything that you speak is binding. And so if you promise to do something, no matter how insignificant it is, it is binding. So he says, don't swear by heaven. Now they would say, well, yes, by cracky, as heaven is my witness, this is so, this this is what I'm going to do. And so they thought because they didn't use God's name that they just said heaven, well, that's okay. It's okay to tell a lie if you don't use God's name. Now you see here, the teaching of this is so practical. This is the way our society is built, isn't it? You call up the plumber, and he says, I promise that I'm going to be there tomorrow. And he doesn't come. Do you call the plumber a liar? No, you don't, because you just expect that. That's what, that's what we do. I mean, he said that he was coming, but that's not really a promise. That's a non-binding statement. And we do it all the time. So sometimes we say, well, I promise that this will be done, and we don't do it because we think that circumstances will excuse what we've said that we would do. Jesus said, that's not right. If you are not going to keep a promise, then don't promise it. You haven't lost anything by not promising. If you promise to keep your word or don't, and you don't keep it, how will people know when you're ever telling the truth? Now, do you see how that goes back to point number one? Lying is against God's character. If God did not keep every promise, then how would you know when he was ever telling the truth? So the Pharisees had these non-binding promises, and they would swear by other things. They evaded God's name, thinking that if they swore by something less, it's okay if you break the promise. Now, let's see how Jesus refutes that. He teaches all owes are binding. You can't stop short by saying something lesser. So he says, don't swear by heaven. Why? Because that's God's throne. 
If you use heaven, you're still speaking of God. He's the one who rules heaven. And so he's not going to let you use his throne as an excuse to lie. Don't swear by the earth. Why? Because the earth is God's creation. He rests his feet upon the earth. All things on the earth are under his control. He's not going to let you use what he created for his glory as your excuse to lie. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is Zion. That's the heavenly city of God. That's the place where the king is going to rule in his millennial kingdom. It's the same thing as speaking of God. He's not going to let you use that as an excuse to lie. He says, don't swear by your head. Why? Because you don't have the power to make one hair white or black. Now that one needs a little more explanation. Didn't Jesus know about L'Oreal? Revlon and, and Clairol? You know, I remember we had a pastor in Kentucky who was a very vain person. He didn't want anybody to know that he was going gray. So one Sunday morning, he dyed, or Saturday night, he dyed his hair, and he came in, and his hair was as red as that curtain over there. And he thought, nobody knows that I'm going gray. You see what I mean? He says, don't swear by this. He says, you don't even have power. Actually, what he means is you don't have power over your own body. God can enable you to run around the block 3,000 times without resting. Or you can try one time and he'll snap you dead just like that. You don't have power over anything. You can't even use a hair on your head to excuse telling a lie. Now, you need to go home and figure out whether dyeing your hair is actually telling a lie. Now, that, that's probably going to be a question that will come up next Sunday in form class. But notice what he says here, verse number 37. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So here's what you can do. You can use your name as your bond. You don't have to call on God or anybody else. You, you should be such a truthful person that your good name, your good character is all that you really need. If you say that I'm going to do something and you make a promise, it's as good as if it's done. And people know that it's going to be done because they know your character. They know you. They know this is the way you live day in and day out. You're a truthful person. Now, that's God's character, isn't it? Being righteous, being like God, is to be truthful. And isn't that what we're aspiring to? We're aspiring to God's character, to his righteousness. This is God's righteousness. And so... When we swear, when God has, or rather, when God has something to swear, he swore by his own name. And that was way more than good enough. He's always truthful. He never faltered, not even on one promise. And so when he speaks, it's always done. That's God's character. Nobody says, well, I wonder if God's going to do that. He's God. Not will he or won't he. If he promised, he'll do it. And so when I promise you something, you promise me something, people should not have to think, do I have to ask again? Do I have to check up on this? Do I have to see if this person is really going to do what he says? Or is his word his bond? Now, what I'm telling you today is that it doesn't do any good to have the righteousness of a scribe or a Pharisee. That righteousness is not good enough. Now, what is the theme of the entire section? We should all know it by now. It's in verse 20. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. If your truthfulness is no better than a scribe or a Pharisee, then how are you going to get to heaven? You see what Jesus is doing? He keeps peeling back 
layer after layer of self-righteousness. He keeps hitting at home time after time that they had not lived by God's perfect standard. They couldn't do it. And nobody living by those standards is fit for the kingdom of God. Now let's bring it back to you and me. It's an age-old problem. and We ought to see it very clearly in this example just like we did the others. Before it was murder. All of us are guilty of anger and malice and hatred towards one another. Jesus called that murder. All of us have had lustful hearts. We have lust in our heart and there's probably some of it going on right now in this room as I'm speaking to you. And Jesus said that is adultery. Then he used a third example. He, he talked about divorce. And divorce is rampant all over the place. Even the best of our marriages don't live up to God's expectations. And do you remember what that is? God said that a man should love his wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We don't even understand what that is. We don't understand how much that is. How much less can we do it perfectly as Jesus did it perfectly? And now he comes to lying. And you and I live in a society that's ruled by lies. We don't expect anybody to tell the absolute truth. We don't do it. We know the absolute truth is going to get us into all kinds of trouble. Your wife says to you, well, how do I look in this dress? And the truth is, she looks like a delivery truck in the dress, but you're not going to say that. You're not, you're not going to lie about it. Lies are way more convenient than the truth. But that's God's standard. Absolute, perfect truthfulness. Absolute perfection by truthfulness. It's always his standard. And friends, there is nobody good enough to live by it. The Pharisees tried to cure the problem by just lowering the standard. They just changed things around a little bit and they changed it to acceptable lies. But with God, there is no such thing as an acceptable lie because he's always the truth. He is truth personified. And so to have the righteousness of God, to have the righteous character of God, you have to be 100% truthful 100% of the time. Where does that leave us? Exactly where Jesus wants us. Realizing that we failed. He wants us to see our failures and then he wants us to come to him as the source of our righteousness. And so what he's doing, he's driving us time after time after time in all of these examples to the foot of the cross. You can't be good enough. Only Jesus is good enough. And you have to trust him. You trust his perfect righteousness because that's what God requires. He won't accept yours. But he always accepts his. Paul put it this way. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what do we need? We need the righteousness of God, which is by faith. That is the only thing that counts. Because we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So four examples have been given. Murder, adultery, failure in our marriages, and lying. And guess what, folks? We're guilty on all four. And you know something else? We're going to be guilty on six out of six. We have absolutely no way to keep God's standards perfectly. The real standards of God's law are lost on us. 
We have no hope except in Jesus because that is God's standard perfection. It was fulfilled in him. So I'm telling you that what we need to do is stop all this foolishness. We need to stop all of these things of trying to be good to get to heaven and think that my works and what I've done, that's what God will accept. Without Jesus, you will die and you'll go straight to hell. And that's because you'll never be good enough, you'll never be smart enough, you'll never be fancy enough, you'll never be good-looking enough to get into heaven without Jesus. Hopeless and helpless without Jesus. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us in all of these examples. You will never be good enough to see God. You have to have him. Now, that is the truth straight from God. And friends, this morning, I call on God as my witness. That is his truth. This is nothing but the truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we've been able to come into your presence today and to speak your word And we see, Lord, through these examples that Jesus has given that we have fallen so far short. There is no way that we have ever kept these standards, no way that we can keep all of this. We can't be good, we can't be perfect, we can't be righteous. Only Jesus Christ can meet the standard. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lay it upon hearts of people today to realize that they must come to Jesus. They must believe in him. They must forsake self. They must put all of that behind them. And come to you in hope of eternal life because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray that you would open up hearts to this message today. Bless as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.